This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Yeah. (laughs) Hi, Ryan. Hi, Becca. Hi, listeners. Hi, everybody. Hi, Intertrekkies. We're It's over. (laughs) Today, again, yes, it has come to an end. Conclusion of Star Trek Picard. Star Trek Jean-Luc Picard, USS Enterprise. Oh, man, I'm not funny. Uh This is going to be so painful. It's it's so funny. I'm like a little bit more aware on the weeks where it's my turn to edit. When I do things that are dumb, I'm like, oh, I'm going to hate that later. Just don't think about it. Yeah. 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 Uh, So, Et in Arcadia Ego, part two, season finale. What did we think? What do you think? I found the ending satisfying. Um, There were enough things that surprised me. There were a lot of things that didn't surprise me. So, it was a little Mm -hmm. bit like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sure... No one is surprised that I'm disappointed that Q didn't show up, but I also, also had disappointed. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I'd been bracing myself for it. Um, I can't imagine what those photos were of, if not of Q uh, mm. from the leak. Um, maybe it was a misdirect. I have no idea. Yeah, I. I also have no idea what that could have been because, like, Red Glove, Scepter, that showed up nowhere in any of these episodes. Yeah. Maybe they were just confused and it's from the set of some totally different show. Very strange. Uh, but I thought the Q, I thought the QQQQQ poker hand mm-hmm. was like the yeah. Easter egg that meant that he was going to show up. I think it was just an Easter egg to be an Easter egg at this point. Hmm. It was just there for the fans, but it didn't mean anything. I still think going back and rewatching all the Q episodes really does inform this series in a strange way. Um, oh, yeah. And keeping Q in mind really kind of informed sort of Picard's moral arc and humanity's moral arc and like Soji's moral arc, right? Like, are you going to, as a species, be a good citizen to the universe? Are you going to treat other species well? Do you deserve to be out here among the stars? And it's like, those are the questions that the Romulans and the humans and the androids are all answering in their behavior, especially in this finale, even if Q wasn't there setting up, my ha- my head canon is that he was. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, this like mechanical tentacles from another universe stand in for the like the power and the decision making of Q, right? Where they're, I don't know it. It seemed like if there was going to be a clash of the titans, mm. like if she had gone too far down the road of hailing the synths protector that like we would have needed Q to step in as the only uh, like a being powerful enough to 
counter that force. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. I just kept imagining like everyone dying and then Q stepping in and being like, see, Picard, you fucked up. You failed the test. Let's start over. (laughs) And then like snap his fingers or something. Yes. (laughs) Maybe those Uh, shots were for season two. But like, uh, I'm sorry. I got to let it go. I got to let it go. I don't think they have. Okay, so aside from its cuelessness, did you like the episode? Yes or no? Yes. I really liked this episode. I was like, this is everything that I want. And I just wish that I felt that way about every single episode of this show. Yeah. But it's okay that I don't. Yeah. And I'm like, it was, it was the right way to wrap up this particular story. It was so good. It was so good. I'm into it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also very excited that, like, the rest of our fans are going to be able to come back and listen to us soon once they binge it, uh, especially now that they can binge it for free. <laughs> so yes, everyone nice. get the word out to your friends. Like, uh, CBS All Access is free right now because of COVID, I think. So that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my first it. note, my first actual note for this episode is just uh, beautiful shots of the Borg cube. Uh, Narek running. Yeah. The Borg cube landed part in the water. And so the Borg cube's like part in the water. And it looks really cool. Um, it's also obviously very hard to keep secure so Narek just kind of like walks into an opening and he's like nobody is around this is good (laughs) I'm gonna look for a way to turn things on and then his sister comes up behind him and nearly slits him in the throat yeah yeah I think that's most of their relationship I gotta (laughs) she asks him if he fucked any of the synthetics and he said not yet and then she asked him if he killed any of them, and he said one. And she's like, "Well, that's an improvement." And then they went to go try to get the weapon system online, and then like cut to the next scene. Yeah, oh, he also I'm... did call her Narissa. So okay, so Narissa is her name. It's her name. It's Narissa not just is her, her human name, person name, and it was her name when she was in Starfleet. So these these people aren't trying very hard to hide from Starfleet. It's a little confusing. Um, apparently, like, Romulan names and human names are more or less indistinguishable. I just feel Somebody like if you were masquerading as a human in Starfleet, you would, like, change your name. But whatever. Do you know how she's there? I, so I thought that she had somehow transported to one of the fleeing Romulan ships after the last scene where we saw her. But I guess she's just been like hiding out in an alcove or something. Yeah, because she's just she's just around. So yeah, okay. Um, we get a brief little scene between Elnor and Seven while Narek is mm-hmm. sneaking around. Elnor is talking about how like the XBs have nothing to live for, which uh, seems a little rude. And Seven's all like, wait, should I just have like put a phaser to my head? I'm an XB. Like, what do I have to live for? And Elnor's like, I would miss you. And I'm like, dude, pick a side. Like, what are you <laughs> what are you two trying to convince each other of right now? I think he comes with having like zero agenda whatsoever. Mm. And he the like 
the motivation behind that question is curiosity. Mm -hmm. Like trying to figure out why people are in the universe or like he's very naive. We can kind of assume that he didn't ever leave the convent where he was raised and so kind of doesn't have a broad understanding of people at all. Yeah. Things about the universe. And it's funny that it's happening to Seven because she was often the person posing those kind of questions on Voyager. And now someone's looking at her going like, well, what do you have to live for in this situation? Mm. (laughs) And like, you know, since it's been like 20 or 30, however many years it's been since Voyager happened, like uh, she's at this place where she's much more socially adjusted Mm -hmm. and can meet people with like skillful sarcasm. Yeah. She's like, hard drinking now oh i'm like first of all what's ridiculous i have a vase that looks like the bottle that they're drinking out of like what (laughs) it's just in my house yeah uh we can bring that out they're like we have to have a drink now our post-quarantine party (laughs) yes so then we go to picard who is imprisoned in a beautiful office Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's got a lovely view. It's got a synthetic butterfly inside. He's not happy about being caged up. Um, eventually, Soji comes to visit. He tries to talk her out of sending the beacon to the synths. Do they come up with a name for that entity? We They were called a few things in this episode. Um, Aggie calls them uber synths, which I like. So she's committed to... Calling the Uber synths. Uh, she uses the phrasing you organics. Yeah. Um, she's fully on board with her status at the moment. And they have kind of a repetition of the conversation we mentioned last week when they're talking about sacrifice and um, choice. And that he he kind of repeats that if you see no choice, then that's a failure of imagination. Failure of imagination. So, yeah, so she's essentially talking to him about, like, an existential crisis of her people. Yeah, so she's trying to save, she's trying to save them, um, and she thinks that this is the only way. And he's like, this isn't the only way, and the fact that you believe that it is the only way is is the failure of imagination that you're, that you're experiencing. Um and I do think it's interesting the emphasis that this episode puts on imagination. Um, and especially imagination being a, like a primary way that synthetic beings interact with their universe. Because, um, I mean, I think that our conception of the way that artificial intelligence would behave is very, very lacking in imagination. Yeah, yeah. It's possible that it could be accurate considering that Google has created all these AIs that can dream and, like, make paintings out of dog heads and weird shit like that. <laughs> the, another thing I've been thinking about is how for a planet advertised as uh, being surrounded with lightning storms, it's, like, really sunny and beautiful all the time. Right. <laughs> Just like, I'm like, okay, show, whatever. Um, 
Yeah, there's like one shot of the of La Serena like battening down the hatches because it makes a noise like it's about to rain. And then the rest of the episode, it's beautiful and sunny and the birds are chirping. And yes. it's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We get some more like just briefly gestured at uh, backstory of Narek and Nerissa. Oh, wow. Mm. Narek and Nerissa. Huh, their names are mm-hmm. nice. Okay. Anyway, Dr. Fuckboy and Sister Incest talking about their family <laughs> drama and making some plans. We kind of talked about this before. I don't I don't really care. And then um we go to Rafi and Rios trying to fix the mm-hmm. ship with yeah. the with the doodad thing. With the imagined device. Yeah. yeah. So it's like this kind of purple colored handheld thing, and they have a conversation about so Rafi's like, you can use this to fix your ship. And he says, no, I can't. It's impossible to fix. And she says, well, Saga told me to use my imagination. And he's like, I don't, I've never had a good imagination. What? Um, what is up with this dude? And she's like, well, let me try. Let me try. What's that? And so like, what is up with this dude? He's such a hater in this scene. <laughs> I think that what this scene does for me the most is like reinforce the fact that these two people have known each other for a long time and are very comfortable around each other. I like their dynamic. Yeah. And it's like another scene where like, uh, yeah, two people of color are interacting. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes. But yeah, she coaches him on how to use his imagination and he gets his ship back online. We have Aggie who talking to uh, like, Alric and Nigo, who I have in my notes, is AI because those are his initials. Oh, it's Alton Inigo Sung. Yeah, AI Sung. Oh my God, you're right. It is AI Sung. I didn't even yeah. think of that. Yeah, Whoa. yeah. Whoa. I know. Yeah. And so she gets through that scene with him and then she's like, mm-hmm. I'm not their mother, asshole. So we get I like, loved it. <laughs> I was like, yes, 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 yes. This is what I was hoping for last episode, but I was like, who the fuck knows with her? But, uh, yes. She is uh, on the side of humanity. I love it. I love it. Uh, later, she's having a conversation with Jean-Luc. And she, after she's like busted, she's like gotten access to his locked room by ripping out Sa- Saga's eye. Yeah, the one who's, who had oh, gotten stabbed. That's what uh, she, she was like doing. She rips out her eye. And then she goes into Picard's room and she's like, I used to think I was very bad or I would be like really terrible at being a spy, but I think I might have a gift. <laughs> I know. <laughs> She's just like, she didn't Which know is... she was good at this until yeah. she was thrown into a situation where she had to be. And it turns out she's really good at seeming innocent and like really uh, remorseful when in fact she's just planning her next move. And it calls attention to how weird it is that AI Soong, like, just kind of co-opted her into that position in the first place. Like, yeah, it's very weird. I felt like he was trying to, you know what, I I said this in last week's episode, it's not interesting. Mm. (laughs) He was like, she's like your mom in order to get all the synthetics on board with her staying. But then like, he wants Mm. her to stay because he wants her to work on the shit that he wants her to work on. The other thing that I got out of that scene is um, I really love the jacket that she's wearing. It's somewhat subtle, but there's a 
on one side it has like a cutout where the rest of the jacket is tan and it's it's like white on the one shoulder and then it's white in the back. I really like that jacket. It's yeah. a good jacket. Well, did you notice <laughs> that she and Soong are wearing like the same jacket? Like did he give her his clothes? Like, does every, do all the humans have to match? Like, he's like, cool, you're on my side. Like, have some matching clothes. Like, okay. (laughs) Uh, Maybe they just both decided it was a good jacket. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, out of the replicator. Yes. (laughs) He's like, I got this pattern in here. Yeah. So, the way that I'm thinking about this episode isn't scene by scene so much as like what characters are doing what. So, like, she's there, she has this conversation with Dr. Soong, and then as soon as he leaves, she rips out Sokka's eyeball and goes and gets Picard. We talked about that a little bit. Um, Then we were about to talk about, uh, I think, Rafi and Rios, and then Narek shows up. Yeah, Narek's literally throwing rocks at the ship, which is... For some reason, a sound that he recognizes because, like, yeah. that's happened before. <laughs> Rios is like, I know what it sounds like when people throw rocks at the ship. And he's, he's like, like okay. I recognize that sound. of like, you do? <laughs> <laughs> he's been around. Uh, but yeah, so how do you feel about Narek, like, turning around and being the hero of this story? I, ah, it's so confusing because, like, first of all, I really loved that when he showed up, she was like, it's the abusive Romulan boyfriend. I was like, yes, yes, that's what I'm, 100% abusive Romulan boyfriend. Yes, that's who he is. Um, That's that's why we call him Dr. Fuckboy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That made me so happy. And then I, he was like, I'm trying to save the universe. We should work together. And I wrote down, he sort of has a point. What is happening? And I don't know. I think at this point, mm-hmm. I don't really feel like he's being a hero, but it's like he's not wrong. They don't really have a choice. Right. Well, they he's the one who informs them about the beacon that's going that's going up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and OK, yeah, they, they believe him. They buy his story. And I think that, like, what he does to demonstrate that he's trustworthy in this moment is that he's like, I have these grenades. I could be killing you right now, and I'm not. <laughs> um, and then they um, have that, like, fireside conversation where he tells a ghost story. And it's, ve- it's like, very good storytelling. I was like, ooh, I li- I'm enjoying the way that you are telling this myth in terms of, like, the, the drama and the storytelling, the art of storytelling that's involved in it. Yeah, um, I, I really enjoyed that myth with, like, the two sisters. Should we talk about that myth a little bit more? Mm, yeah. What I remember from it is that it's feels like a very typical Armageddon story. Like, it involves demons letting other demons in from another realm and that they feast on the flesh of Romulans and yeah. like use the bones of children to pick their teeth. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, they're like very bloody entrails rotting in the streets or something. Uh, so it's very gruesome and it's, it borrows heavily from language and like um, that's when Narek is like, I don't believe that it's myth. I believe that it's history. Basically all of that happens so that he 
can get them on board with the plot that he's devised to get back into the synth encampment and uh, sabotage their plans to turn on this beacon. Yeah, and the plot basically involves smuggling grenades inside of a soccer ball or or a football for our international listeners. Football, indeed. They're Uh, very careful not to call it either. And just to look at it, to not do that polarizing just, thing. And and even uh, later, even later, like one of the synthetics bonds with him over the soccer ball. He's like, oh, do you play? And he's like, yeah, I love the game. They still don't say soccer or football. And I'm like, very clever, CBS All Access. I see what you did there. Just sidestepping that uh, culturally different word. It is yeah. a very heated debate. Um, I really like that they told the myth around the fire. It really yeah. brought it brought it back to this sort of primal place, um, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I think it makes it more affecting to have it told around the fire. Um, I don't know why they were doing. Oh, that. Elnor's there too. Yeah. Oh. 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 Yeah. So let's let's pack up for a second. So the scene before they go out there, when he's he's. They're sort of like ready rooming with the fuck boy. And he's like, Mm -hmm. this is what's going on. Um, They're around a table. And I'm like, finally, a ready room. Finally. This is for some reason all I've wanted this whole series. You just want them at their conference table. You just want them at a fucking conference table. And uh, (laughs) Eleanor shows up with his sword. And is like, hmm. You can't see, but I just mimed the sword thing over Zoom. Hmm. And, you know, (laughs) Dr. Fuckboy is the first person who's like, yes, I want to live. (laughs) <laughs> Put your sword down. I do, I do want to live. I choose to live. Um, and Rios calls Elnor kid. He's like, hey, kid, he might be on our side. And it's so much for any of you who are both Star Trek and Star Wars fans. It's so much Han talking to Luke. It's mm. like the, sh- the rugged ship's pilot is talking to like the young sword wielding optimistic ninja and calling him kid. And I'm like, oh, this is so much Star Wars right now. It does, it, yeah, and I love it. Yeah, that, that's all. It's just like a, a brief little little thing that I, I'm choosing to believe is uh, not unintentional. But yeah, yeah, Elnor is there too, and he's also... He kind of helps tell the myth uh, because he, he's also Romulan, right? Yeah. So he knows this myth as well, and having them kind of tag team that story in i i don't know it like increases the drama increases the feeling like when they're sitting around this fire it's like it's it's good storytelling inside of good storytelling if that makes any sense yeah this episode is just like knocking it out of the park i really i really really loved it they're like then the four of them decide to do a little mini heist and my note about this like also given that Agnes is in her own little spy movie. I'm like, I feel like Michael Shabon. Did we decide how to pronounce his name? I don't know. I think I think I say it differently every time I say it. So anyway, <laughs> we don't but know, man. What I was thinking is that he just really wants to be out writing like spy movies and heist movies, and that's why there's so much more energy in these episodes. <laughs> That involve spy stuff or heist stuff. Ooh, yeah, I like that. Um, and so we we get them going to the camp, 
They turn over Dr. Fuckboy as their way into the camp. They talk about the soccer ball like, oh, yeah, I play. I just brought my soccer ball along for like no reason. And then we cut (laughs) to Aggie like busting out Picard, which is very Mm -hmm. fun. And and she has the line that you were talking about earlier about like, I'm actually really good at this. And her giddiness is so cute. And um, she's officially my favorite character again, now that she's no no longer evil. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i guess she never yeah, was evil really she great. was just you know making choices we didn't agree with yes but it turns <laughs> out she's actually making the right choices she just had like been playing many moves ahead of everybody else yeah yeah she's a smart she's a smart lady um, i think every time i've questioned like how did she know that thing i'm like regretting a little bit now because she's just she just really knows a lot of stuff and she's smart and knowledgeable and like knows what's going on. Uh, and I was starting to question my own, like my own kind of sexism being like doubting that this woman is competent. Yeah. You just have to assume that like she knows stuff. Um, I hope it's not sexism. I feel like when you're skeptical of a show in general, you're like looking for plot holes. Like if you come to watching Picard, from a defensive position of being like, you're going to ruin my Star Trek, then you start to add up all these things that might not make sense, where you could just as easily come to it from a welcoming position and be like, oh, they know all this stuff because this is just what people know in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like she's a scientist, so she she knows how shit works, uh, which is sort of the headcanoning that I've been doing every time she understands something. I'm like, she, she gets all the science journals on her uh, pad. like just she knows what's going on well i do think that like classic trek or whatever i'm I'm trying to remember a time that they introduced a technology where they didn't also give you some kind of techno babble around why it's supposed to work i don't know i I feel like they just do more in universe like explaining about things they save a lot of time by not doing it but this audience is primed for that. Like, the old fans like the Technobabble. I always kind of ignore that part of the episode. Um, but there are, there's a whole swath of fans who love it, mm. and so to to ignore them is uh, to invite the fan hate. Yeah. And I think that part of the reason that people really like, like, fans really like the Technobabble um, is, especially when it, like, has internally consistent logic then it makes it feel some feel like something that is possible for the future and like in a way like to me that's what what you need to be qualified as science fiction is like some scientific advancement or technological advancement that that creates the world and like makes certain things possible within it that you can't otherwise do as a human being. Like the reason that I'm drawn to it is it's cool to think about how other people are thinking about these possibilities and like how we might create them in reality. Yeah, I think that that is a good point. I just don't really think that way. So I Mm -hmm. usually don't care. Um, (laughs) But it's good to like understand that that's what other people care about. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. A.I. Soong sees something on screen, runs around and catches our heroes, and I and you think that he's going to turn them in, but he ends up helping them. So now right. I have no idea whose side anyone is on in this point in the episode. 
he sees like Saga's final moment. Like the thing oh. that we knew was true is that yes. Sutra killed her. Um, but now we see the proof and that motivates Soong to go try to stop what they were doing. I'm so stop. glad I'm watching goes, this with you because I didn't catch that. Yeah, I think it was like it was it was quick. Thanks for so, catching that, Becca. So he he sees her last moment, and then then what does he do? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt like from last week he was on board with calling the Uber synths, um, but I think we learned that his he was actually feeling more complicated about it, and that Saga's death really was a turning point for him mm-hmm. and he he brings also the rest of the population of the like of Capelius in with him there where he's talking to Sutra and he's like I now know that you killed her and like that was part of your underlying proof that we need to call these destroyers and now that I know that that murder was not done by an organic we need to stop this thing. Yeah. So then he ends up calling her out in front of everybody. But uh, Soji is still going. She's still trying to do some weird thing with her hands where she's building the Tower of Babel, the way they can <laughs> talk to the Uber synths. And uh, they throw like a soccer bomb at her and she catches it like easily. And so that's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the bomb doesn't work, oh, but also, Soong has a good line here, I think, where it's like, where he says, I thought I taught you better than this yes. to, to Sutra. And then he, like, has this wand thing that deactivates her. I know, he just turns um, her off with, like, a remote He just control. turns her off. And I was thinking about this, so, as as you know, I have now watched all of the Orville and there's an episode and I'm I'm sorry if there's spoilers in here guys if you want to flip forward then you can um there's an episode where they have encounters with synthetic beings and one of the things that comes up is that they can be turned off mm-hmm. um and it drives a lot of the plot in that story and so I I saw it reflected here and it is one of the I think it's one of the abilities that creates a power imbalance between mm. synthetic life forms and organic life forms. Yeah. Um, is that they can be controlled in this very fundamental way. And like maybe one of the ways that a peaceful coexistence can be achieved is by organics yielding that ability. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh it was really shocking seeing him do it, and I feel like that wouldn't have done anything to convince Soji to change her mind, you know? Mm-mm. Exactly. There's no due process. There's no, like, tribunal. There's no nothing. It's just, like, now you're not a being anymore. Uh, and it's not really dwelled on at all in the episode. Um, but almost immediately after, Narek's being taken down and he's like screaming, Soji, no, Soji, no. Like, And it's like, that's it not off. helpful either. It's like, you're the last person out of all the people there. Like, you should keep your mouth fucking shut. Like, she's just going to do the opposite of whatever you say. Exactly. It's like exactly motivating her to continue. Uh, have, yes. 
I mean, like, in some sense, I'm glad that the show is doing those things because you're like, we all like Soji so much. So it's hard to imagine that she would be the one to do this. So it's like, you have to give us these good reasons. But on the other hand, I'm like, Dr. Soong, you're being an idiot. Like, Dr. Fuckboy, you're being an idiot. Like, stop it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stop it. It's like all of them are being dumb. And the fact that Dr. Soong is like, I thought I taught you better is also interesting, and it reflects a conversation that um, gonna, Picard happen and in a Agnes, yeah, right, that they have like basically in the next scene. We go back to Picard and Aggie, and they're like they have now traced back to La Sereno. So everybody's just going back and forth all the time on this. We don't know how long the hike is, but somehow they're doing it anyway. They get La Serena back up and running, and they're uh, they're talking about the synthetics and Picard is like in in a way they're very advanced but in another way they're like children for teachers they have had two hermits and the fear of extermination yeah yeah and and that fear is not a good teacher and that also like and i think it's what dr soong doesn't really maybe piece together in this moment is that in order for them to have been taught effectively they they needed more teachers. They just needed more exposure to more kinds of people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in their, you know, evolution or in their personal development um, yeah. as beings, I think, in order to have, like, nuance and complexity in the thinking about the universe. It reminds me of, like, having a puppy and, like, you end up with these dogs that are afraid of people who wear hats or dogs who are racist because they're only raised around white people because they haven't been socialized enough and often when you get like a dog like that from a shelter people were like oh they must have been abused by a person with a hat and i'm like no they just never met a person with a hat it's like basic socialization like they might have been abused by someone but like you this is not evidence of that they are just afraid of like what they haven't seen during their socialization period and um exactly you know, part of why Data was so wonderful is because he was raised by Starfleet. Yeah, he was he was raised by Starfleet, and specifically, in a lot of ways, he was raised by Picard, and he was and he was exposed to a whole academy's worth of different individuals, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, and so what this is saying, what Picard is saying in this moment, and I think what Soong is lacking awareness around is that that's a that's a lack in the education of these beings. Yeah. Um so so back out in back out in space, Picard is like he's got he's like flying La Serena and I think this was another moment where I like really loved Dr. Aggie again that she's like the the audience stand in here. You- she has a great so she has a great moment here where he's like trying to get his stuff together and basically tells her very kindly to like shut up. Um <laughs> And she concludes the scene by saying, make it so, Um, which obviously is like straight to my fan heart, but also made me have this weird, like tangential thought about, do you think that there was ever like a reality TV crew that just recorded what the people on the Enterprise D were doing for like, uh, I don't know, a month? And then made it into a show. I mean, it seems unlikely, but uh, but like, I, how I would like everybody world. know these like random yeah. things about like catchphrases and stuff? Uh, Navy Bruce told her he's like, 
Just so you know, this guy Picard has a habit of saying the words, make it so. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my next item in my like notes is Nerissa V7. And they definitely flirt. I wrote down not that they were flirting, but like, is Nerissa capable of interacting with anyone without objectifying them? Because <laughs> like what what specifically happens is like Nerissa flirts at Seven and Seven's like, What? You killed my friend. <laughs> like Right. What is going uh, yeah, on? Yeah, maybe here? flirting is the wrong term to put here, but like <laughs> Sister Incest says you'd be good looking if you weren't disgusting half Borg. Which yeah. is not even flirting, it's negging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Seven like they fight a bunch, and then Seven defeats her by, like, throwing her down a long chasm in the Borg cube, which is also major Star Wars vibes, because, like, many characters in Star Wars get thrown over, uh, like, thrown over ledges inside of a spaceship. Um, it's true. And exactly. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Very Star Warsy. Picard talks to Soji and is all like... Mm -hmm. uh, I want to give you and your people something, my life. And so now we know he's on like a suicide mission. And mm -hmm. I think maybe right before this, Aggie is playing with the magic uh, doodad thing that we have. The, um, the imagination thing? Yeah, gizmo, the, ima imagination the imagination gizmo. wand. Yeah. And uh, she brings up the Picard maneuver, which is a, a trick where you make your ship appear two places at once, um, mm. which came up at some point on TNG. We'll, we'll put the exact reference in our notes. And uh, she's like, look, I can do that with this thing. And then her face is in like 17 places. Her smiling face. It's so good. <laughs> She's so funny. She's like, look at my face, y'all. And I, But also, I'm like, does she know they're on a suicide mission? I guess she does. Yeah, I think that she's like decided that her life is forfeit pretty much from the moment that she killed Bruce. She's had such a wild ride. I, I'm really fascinated by her character. Uh, yeah, her ability to remain kind of upbeat and chipper is really impressive. <laughs> And I think also speaks to something that you've been talking about over the last several episodes, which is uh, the way that your life can improve when you have a purpose. Oh, absolutely. And I think that she now she's like kind of saving the galaxy, right? That's <laughs> yeah. a very purposeful activity to be engaged with. Whereas a few episodes ago, she was like, like killed my ex-lover. And I wasn't really I don't even think I was in the right about that anymore. I'm like purposeless and that's when she seems the most forlorn. Um, but I think that she bounces back really quickly because she's, she's really driven by curiosity mm. and she's encountering new, like really new things. And I think that's what yeah. kind of like, that's her primary way of experiencing the world. And so she's like, not really, she doesn't really have time to dwell on it because she's got a new thing to understand. Yeah, she's a scientist. Yeah. Um, so a few things happen all at once, and I might lay them out kind of quickly, and then we can back up and talk about them. Sounds good. Um, 
But the Romulan fleet shows up. Um, Mm -hmm. They're led by Commodore O, who is now Mm -hmm. full Romulan general. Picard and Aggie, like, duplicate all their ships, so they look like there's hundreds of ships, and uh, Mm -hmm. distract the Romulans long enough that they don't uh, kill the synths immediately. Um, Mm -hmm. But once they do get hit, they go back to being one ship, and it's revealed to be an illusion. Then Starfleet shows up, and it's revealed that Will Riker is leading one of the ships because he can come out of semi-retirement whenever he wants. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so now the, the two fleets are, are evenly matched. Um, yeah. but, but right before they show up, Soji gets the Tower of Babel signal to the Uber synths online. Mm-hmm. And like a hole opens up in the sky or the universe or something. And weird snake things mm-hmm. start to crawl out. And so like a lot of things are happening at once. Um, and Picard gives a very rousing speech Basically being like, look, Starfleet is here to protect you. You should trust them. Um, Yeah. So what did you think of all this? Yeah. So there's a lot there. Um, About the Romulan force, what what I thought was funny is that she says, deploy planetary sterilization uh, pattern number five. (laughs) So, like, apparently they've at least five different ways that they sterilize planets. Cool. Um, They're not good I thought that the hole opening up in the sky and the, like, tentacles that are made of machines was just so very, like, fantasy Mm. imagery. It reminded me a lot of Hellboy. Like... One of the Hellboy movies, they're, like, trying to prevent invasion of these, like, Kraken monsters from another universe. And it's, it was, like, I appreciated it. I enjoyed it because I felt like, yeah, this is, like, Armageddon. This is what we're signaling. This is what's happening. And it also kind of emphasized, I think, that subtly in this whole series, we've kind of encountered tropes that come more from fantasy storytelling than from Ooh. sci-fi storytelling. Yeah. And I think I think that's probably directly because Michael Shaven's in charge and like my experience with him at least as a writer is much more on the fantasy end of things. Even just, even the orchids themselves oh. in a way feel like a very fantasy element. Uh, but there have been others, but I mean even just going back to what we were talking about that like the myth retelling like Mm. Why were they sitting in front of a fire? It's cool that they were, but do they need to be? No. (laughs) Probably probably not. Picard makes a really, really wonderful speech, and we see him being like full Picard here, and we feel like we've really earned it. He's not just making a pretty speech. He's making a speech like from the heart with a lot of empathy that's really connecting to who Soji is and everything he's learned about her. You know, he's able to prove what he was saying before because Starfleet is there. Um, Mm -hmm. So humanity is being the best of humanity. Humanity and the other species who make up Starfleet. In the Federation. Yeah, who make up the (laughs) Federation, who are never present as much. Um, They're being the best they can be, so it's a really good argument for the synths to rise to meet them. And 
a thought I had in this moment is like, why is Soji de facto in charge? Like, why aren't any of the other synths on this planet like doing anything about this? Like, do they care what decision she makes? Either way, like if she changes her mind, like why won't one of them pick it up? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe because she looks like their leader. <laughs> yeah. No, that was kind <gasps> of confusing know. to me. I mean, yeah. I think it made sense from a from a storytelling perspective because yeah. like we don't know any of these other characters. But yeah, she but has yeah, like this guess- unilateral decision making down on the planet. Like Sutra was clearly in charge. Sutra got knocked out. Soji still has control and everyone is just down with it. And then when she changes her mind and is like, all right, I'm going to turn it off. None of them object. And it's like, okay, I don't I don't know how their system of government works on this synth planet. But apparently, (laughs) if you look like Issa Briones, you are in charge no matter which synth you are. Um, (laughs) That's logical. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But... Yeah, like Picard is his best self and she then rises to the occasion and becomes her best self and turns off the signal, the beacon, which which apparently also closes the hole and they go away, even though they've already been notified. And, And very quickly, the battle is over as soon as it began. The Romulans give up and decide to go home. Starfleet is like, we're gonna escort you out of here. They also, like, took a moment to say, like, this planet is under our protection and we have a treaty mm-hmm. and you guys are violating it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not 100% convinced that these guys are safe. It seems like a safe for now out of yeah. imminent threat. I also think that it's kind of like Trek being Trek where the logical argument has been made that killing all of these people is wrong and, like... Once the imminent threat is removed as well, then that's it. Then diplomacy wins. Yeah, um, yeah. It is yeah. a very Trek being Trek. And so, like, now we're we're in a universe that hasn't changed much at all from our old shows. It's just that, like, you know, it took 10 episodes instead of one to tell this story. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, So they all go away. And then he, like, starts to die, like, moments later. And then Soji's like, wait, I really did like you a lot. Come down to the planet. So she she beams them down. And then suddenly he's like, he's dying in the middle of his new group of friends. Yeah. So he's like, he's getting in his final words to everybody. And he says to Soji that not being the destroyer was up to you Uh Really, like, driving home this, like, your choice is what matters here, mm-hmm. and you always had a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think if there's any lesson that this show is trying to drive home, it's that you do have the power to choose in the moment. Like, one of the things we were talking about last week, like, the difference between being able to making the ethical choice in the moment versus being driven by the ends that you're trying to achieve and letting your means be whatever you want them to. And they were mm-hmm. just reemphasizing again that, like, a central thesis of Star Trek is that what you do in the moment is what matters. Yeah, even if um, you are under existential threat, you should still make the moral choice. Right. And so he's kind of, like, congratulating her. As he's dying, he's like, I'm pleased, young Padawan, <laughs> with your yeah. performance in this. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, he and conveys like, driving... that, I think, to Elnor, too. 
Yeah, and driving home the lesson, the lesson that he wanted to teach all the synthetics is also the, the lesson that he was teaching Soji. So he's just recapping, like, in case she didn't get it. Um, and then he tells Rafi that she was right. And she's like, about <laughs> what? <laughs> Does it, I don't know. Raf, everything, I guess. <laughs> everything. All of it. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah. Um, we get a nice little seven... tie into hmm? earlier in the episode. She was like, "Okay, say it, say it, say those three words that I love." And to to Rios, and he says, "Yes, you were right." So she just likes to know that she was right when she was right. I get I can, that. I can relate to that so hard. <laughs> yes, we get seven and Rios morning together and sharing mm-hmm. really bad alcohol. Yeah, I thought their I thought their conversation was really interesting. So they they're both like having a regret, right? Or saying like, and the thing that Seven said that she would not do again and has done in this episode was kill somebody just because she thought they deserved it. Um, so you see her having remorse or regret for killing Sister Incest. And I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So the the last time she did that was when she killed Bejazel, her former lover, in punishment for right. killing Echeb. In punishment for killing Echeb, and so and then she killed Sister Buck, Fuckboy, uh, in punishment for killing Hugh. And yeah, so I, this is Seven's struggle that she has the power mm-hmm. to summarily execute people who've done something wrong, and apparently she doesn't want to act on that power and can't help it. I think last episode we were talking about how mm-hmm. morally complicated, like morally and emotionally complicated all the women on the show are, and we didn't really go into Seven very much, but this is definitely an example of her fitting that we as the audience were cheering for her both times but she's pointing out that that is not the highest moral action she could have taken to and it seems to me that it's something like having that value of restraint i guess is seems like something that she learned initially aboard voyager Mm -hmm. i think it's also instilled in what we think about as starfleet values and as much as the voyager crew was able to live those they did and they would have rubbed off on Seven. Yeah. We also get this really beautiful moment of Raffi and Eleanor hugging and crying and mourning together. Mm-hmm. And apparently, like, no one has fucking told any of these characters that there's a plan to resurrect JL. feel right. like they shouldn't be as blindsided by this as they are. We then uh, get Picard and Data in front of a fire in a yes. quantum simulation. I really loved this scene. So I think this scene is doing a lot. And uh, one of the things that I really liked about it is how much it mirrors the very first scene of the series. Um, I also just like thinking about how much fun the like set designers had painting that room gray. Like it's the same room that's his uh, chateau office. It's just Uh, been overhauled. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, it took me yeah. a minute to figure out what was going on. But I think once it's once it's revealed that Data's consciousness has been resurrected, but he hasn't been given a new body, and that Picard is also sort of being stored in this in this same place until he can uh until he can be placed in his golem. They have a conversation about like the afterlife and what dying is like and 
Um, it's very, it's a very philosophical conversation that they have. I, it's just like these two actors together also mm-hmm. are really powerful. Um, yeah. And they touch on the theme yeah. of sacrifice, which Soji was mm-hmm. talking about in the last episode. And I feel like the lesson that we've learned or that the show is demonstrating is that, you know, there is a logic to sacrifice, but like only when you are the one sacrificing yourself. So mm-hmm. Data reminds Picard not to be sad that he sacrificed himself for Picard because Picard gladly sacrificed himself for all these other people. Data wants to be shut off and yes. says that uh, his life has meaning because it can end, which is mm-hmm. something that was in that philosophy book, A Tragic Sense of Life, that Rios was reading in like episode one. Yeah, I I believe that and I think I buy into it as a way of thinking about how people are motivated and like what what is life really. Um I also we are mortal and there's no way for us to be immortal right now. So like can you know can you you don't have the we don't have like an actual example of the contrasting opinion to way against this one right (laughs) um but i think it sets up something that we see immediately after this which is that picard hasn't been given an immortal body (laughs) i liked i liked dr soong's what he said he's like it's okay everybody was paying attention (laughs) we didn't make you immortal (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um, we get a really lovely eulogy from Picard for Data. Mm-hmm. We we see Data in like his with his slicked back hair and his smoking jacket. Um, oh my god, I love the smoking jacket. He looks very similar to how he did uh, when he would appear as Sherlock Holmes, and also how he did mm-hmm. in the last episode of the Next Generation as an old man, like the the version the aged version of him we never got to see. And it's very sweet. Um, This show is just so beautiful. This episode especially, all of the visuals in the show are very moving. And it's just like, I don't know, anyone who wants to go back to the world of just like multi-camera sitcom style, everything happens on the bridge. I I don't get it. Like, it's just, this show is just so gorgeous. Yeah, it's really beautiful. If you want that, if you want that other kind of visual experience, like, I will say that the Orville is where you can get it. Um, (laughs) But I like the cinematic quality of the art direction in this series. It's really beautiful. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A few more things happen. We get, we're back on La Serena. Rafi and Aggie kiss, so I guess they're still together, even though she's a murderer. But she's a <laughs> like she's a redeemed murderer because she's now like saved all of organic life. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see Rafi and Seven holding hands, mm-hmm. which would be a really amazing romance. I'm not sure how old uh, Michelle Hurd is, but. Jerry Ryan is 51, so if we're going to get to, like, Gen Xer, uh, like, women falling in love, like, you Here never see it. that on television. It's great. Here uh, for They're it. both so cute. Um, yes. So we get our, our little bit of LGBT confirmation for Seven. Uh, if you didn't pick up on it in the previous episode, we get, a, like, a 
you know, two second glimpse of that. Um, Soji is on the ship and she's like, I'm gonna go traveling. And then they all mm-hmm. go somewhere and we don't know where they're going. Dun, dun, yeah. dun. But the crew has been, they have come together. The the Motley crew. Yeah. I just like that that one time Picard called them all Motley. It's amazing. It's, it's very <laughs> sweet. I also have like a few things that, should have made it in the episode that didn't from um, Michael Shaben's uh, Instagram, which is mm. uh, which I was reading during our break. Um, what happened to the XBs? Did Seven just leave them behind? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, Ramda's not dead, even oh, though she cool. was. Okay, I thought she died, but I guess she didn't. Um, they shot a scene intended to show Ramda and the other XBs beginning to form a possible community with the synths under the auspices of Soong. They couldn't find a place for it that worked in the episode, and they cut it, hoping people wouldn't miss it too much, but apparently uh, they did miss it. Um, mm. Oh, what became of Narek? Uh, Narek mm. was taken into Federation custody. They That also got cut. Good to they know. Didn't, they didn't just leave him down there with all the synths. <laughs> yeah, it was not clear of his... I, I think his story is concluded, um, and I hope that that's the case, but I can also see some fun storytelling in the future where he comes back. He's got a really weird fetish. Yeah. <laughs> Being like super into synthetic women while also thinking they should die. Uh, I, Not I really hate, I hated of, this character. Like, so activists and how absolutely. I know I've been hating on him, but he's like grown on me and he's now in the, the realm of characters who I love to hate, um, yes. not just characters who I hate to see on screen. So yes. they, they brought me around on, on him eventually. I one of, the, one of the things I really enjoyed right at the end of this episode was that Soji says, um, and I can travel with you because now they've lifted, lifted the synth ban. Uh, and Picard says, I can too. Because he's a, he's a synth now. Oh, you're he's right. He's an android now. <laughs> yeah. It's powerful for him to be this now because it gives him even more, like, credibility to speak for that group of yes. beings. Yes. Um, and I think it kind of um, rounds out the story where he is effectively Data's father. Yeah. And now they share this connection it also round rounds out the story that we were really concerned with uh in the first half of the season which is just how he deals with the part of him that is an xb that is a former borg Mm. and the parts of him that are synthetic that he seems to resent now he's all synthetic and he's like come to this place where he's at peace with it oh sorry what were you saying about his heart Oh, I just think it's funny that he doesn't have a mechanical heart anymore. He's entirely synthetic now. In a way, he he had like his first life and that was his life up until he got stabbed in the heart. Yeah. And then he had this uh, this like kind of second existence with that heart. And then he had mm-hmm. a th- like a th- third existence where he was a Borg and a fourth existence where he was no longer a Borg. And now he's in this kind of like fifth iteration of self where he's a synthetic being and i'm like what are the nine lives of jean-luc picard he's lived (laughs) many of them but not but like maybe half 
I love that. I love this so much. This is uh, you're you're absolutely right. And like they each sort of like take on like they each have like a really tangible meaning for like his psyche as well as his like being mirrored by his physical body. It's really, really cool. He's like fairly unique as a character where we as the audience have been with him on that journey through these various lives. Mm-hmm. And it's just like not, it's not a way that we engage with characters very often. And I think it speaks to like the endurance of the character that he, that like Patrick Stewart and the writers and directors, producers, all of the Star Trek like creators in like made such a powerful, like just a powerful person that we want to keep spending time with and we want to know what's happening in his life and like the things that have changed over his lifetime uh yeah it's just really really cool i'm interested to see what they do with him next season also i just want like raffi we were right he died (laughs) we were right (laughs) we called it he died uh and he also didn't he also didn't die right because i'm like he can't die because it's season two so we were right and we were right Keep listening Patting to Intertextional. We're going to be job. right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Please and thank you. Becca, I do have a shout out. I hope I didn't miss more. If I missed more, if you guys have written to us or done a review and I didn't read and it was this last week and I didn't read it in time, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll reach out to you later. But we got a review on Apple Podcasts in Australia. Mm. Um, from user Chloe Mack, who said, great discussion, lovely hosts. Thank you, Chloe Mack. That Yay, makes my thank day. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. You know, everybody uh, share this podcast with one person, anyone who's not listening to it because uh, they haven't been watching Picard. They can now watch Picard for free with like, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's like promo code gift or something, but it's it's on Patrick Stewart's Instagram if you don't remember what the promo code is. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Mm, no. You guys continue to continue to have hope. I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about how Star Trek is ultimately a, a hopeful universe, even in a fucked up universe like the one we saw this season. It still had a hopeful narrative. And I know mm-hmm. that right now it can feel like we're in the darkest timeline, um, depending on what country you're in or what leaders you're paying attention to. Um, find ways to protect yourself mentally and emotionally. Uh, try find ways to protect yourself physically, you know, um, mm-hmm. don't touch each other uh, and <laughs> just, you know, continue to to believe that, uh, that we're going to that things are going to work out OK, that we're going to get through this. Sorry, I'm not a really a motivational speaker, but I'm just I'm thinking <laughs> of all of you and I know it's hard right now. And I feel like uh, those of us who have uh, any chance to I don't know have a soapbox to talk should say something uh, uplifting. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I take a lot of uplift from this finale episode. I think that it really does like bring home a lot of the things that we've been talking about and to like, to be reminded that the values of choosing the alternative where the fewest people die is always the right choice. What that boils down to is stay home. Yep. That's the way to prevent the most people from dying. That's the Starfleet choice. That's the choice we're making. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, guys. All right, everybody. Talk to us on the internet. We'll miss you. Okay, say it. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalese and Becca Motola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire or you can become a member of our member feed on podfan that is pod.fan slash intertractional yeah oh my god oh my god something's crashing upstairs what the fuck are they doing up there it's okay it's happening at the same time that my dog is making noises